We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 for the sermon today. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We already read through the, the substantial portion of Luke chapter 2. So what is it in Luke chapter 2 that we can gain to apply to our life? Because every passage of scripture that we go into should be applicable to us. So what is it that we can get from the story of Jesus' birth? As I thought through this, as I thought through this passage, what I was thinking about is really the fact that we need to respond to Christmas. Christmas is not just something that you read, you celebrate, you open gifts, and you wake up on the 26th and go wait in line to return something. That's not what it's about. We need to respond to the birth of Christ. So let's look at that response and what we can get out of that response. We're going to start with just verses 1 through 7. I'm not going to read them again for you. But in verses 1 through 7, what I want you to walk away with or what I want you to see is that the offer of salvation, really the call of God, may not come at the most convenient time for you. God's offer of salvation, his call on your life, may not come when it is the most convenient for you. It was not convenient for Mary. It was not convenient for Joseph. In fact, the whole story begins by talking about the days of Caesar Augustus. God is zooming out in Luke 2 as we open up Luke chapter 2. He is zooming out and he's saying, look, this event of a baby being born in a small manger occurred on a global scale. Caesar Augustus was emperor of the known world. And I suspect that Caesar thought that Caesar thought that he was issuing a tax for himself to get money for himself, to put money in the Roman coffers in order that they could have the Roman military machine move forward. What Caesar did not know is that God was in control because God has access to a bigger picture. And God was using Caesar to move Mary and Joseph from the city of Nazareth to Bethlehem. Why? Because God's actually in control of even the small details, even the little things. God used global events to take care of minor, what would seem like insignificant details. Mary and Joseph from the little town of Nazareth. Why? So that Jesus, for all intents and purposes, could be a hick from the sticks. The town of Nazareth was nothing. It was your little Nebraska village that's not even big enough to be incorporated as a town. It was a nothing, and God wanted his son to be known as somebody that was from nothing. The trip to Bethlehem, though, ensured that Jesus could be from Nazareth, that Mary and Joseph came from Nazareth, but yet born in Bethlehem, the city of David, in fulfillment of Micah 5.2. God was in control of the little details. Mary's status, betrothed, engaged, but not yet married, ensured that Jesus could be born 
of a virgin in fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. The little details, the little details that God was in control of. But all of those little details would have been major inconveniences for Mary and Joseph. Think about it. God's details are part of his plan, but might not be convenient for you. They're still good. It was not convenient for Mary and Joseph. Mary, pregnant out of wedlock, not a good situation for somebody to be in, especially in that time. Mary, her firstborn child, she doesn't exactly have a lot of experience in child rearing at this point. Mary, nine months pregnant, asked to go on a trip over rough terrain from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Mary arrives in Bethlehem and is told, there's no room for you in the guest room. It's already being occupied. Tough luck. This was not convenient for Mary. In fact, it was about as inconvenient as I could imagine. Have you ever had a day where everything seems to go wrong? That was, I think, Mary's day here. Right? Can you imagine? What else could have gone wrong? God's offer of salvation is not always convenient. So let me, let me really put the rubber on the road here. Today, God may be working on your heart right now. And here's what's going to happen at the end of the service. You're going to say, oh yeah, God's, God's really got a hold of me, but it's Christmas and I don't want to stay late to talk to the pastor or to talk to one of the deacons. God's call might not be convenient. If God is working on your heart and saying you need to respond, guess what? You need to respond. The offer of salvation may not come at a convenient time. God's call for you to act on his behalf may not come at a convenient time. So let me give you an action step. Consider, how have you allowed timing to interfere with your response to God's call on your life. Don't let timing stop you because God's call is good. Imagine had Mary and Joseph said, eh, we'll just pay a penalty and not pay our taxes and go to Bethlehem. Would have changed everything. What if Mary had said no thank you to Gabriel? God's timing was not convenient, but it was good. The story continues. Jesus is born in a manger. Mary puts her firstborn baby in a manger, not a nice hospital bed, not a nice unit. But the story continues in verses 8 through 14. We read about the shepherds. And what do we get from the shepherds? The offer of salvation is available to all. God's offer of salvation is available to everyone. And I think this is why the shepherds play such a prominent role in Luke chapter 2. The shepherds were the most unlikely recipients of God's message. If you were to have your ranking of people, you know, you've got your kings, you've got your governors, you've got your nobles, you've got the rest of the people, and... Somewhere along the line, somebody says, oh, yeah, we forgot to write the shepherds down. And it's all right. Don't even list them. They were at the bottom of society. 
if I were to have sent the angels, I would have sent the angels to the temple to proclaim to the priests that Jesus had been born or to the king. I might have sent them to the general people in Bethlehem and just said, hey, everyone show up at the stable. The Messiah has been born. I would not have chosen to send the angels to the shepherds. But look at the words of the message that the angels say. The words of the message in verses 10 through 11, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. The words of the message emphasize the significance of the event. You've probably heard the word gospel before. Gospel, which means good news, which is a translation of the Greek word euangelizo. So let me tell you a little bit about this Greek word euangelizo. This was a Roman propaganda word. This was a word that the Romans would use when they were marching down the streets, when they were entering the city. It meant everyone celebrate the Roman government's here, and we've got our, our king, our emperor. It was a word that meant we're proclaiming good news of the emperor's love for his people. Okay? So the angels take that word, and they use it to proclaim good news. They don't say a king, though. They don't say, we're proclaiming to you good news of a new king. Good news of what? A savior. The angels take, literally steal, the Roman propaganda word. They reallocate it to be the good news of the savior of the universe. In fact, they do such a good job that now nobody thinks of the word gospel as being a Roman propaganda word, right? We think of the word gospel as being a religious word because it has become that, because the words of the message emphasize that this is for everybody. It's not just for Roman citizens. It's not just for kings. It's not just for nobility. The shepherds hear the good news. But the angel goes a step further. He doesn't just say to the shepherds, there's good news. He says, there's a sign. There's a way that you can test this good news. You can go test this right now. Now, look at this test that he gives them in verse 12. Here's the test. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. I want you to understand the significance of this test. It's easy to perform. Do you remember back to your high school science class, like a chemistry class when you had to do experiments? And you had all this equipment lined up, and you had to get the temperature just right, and you had to have just the right acid to mix in there, and just the right chemicals. And if you got everything right, sometimes it worked out and the test was verified, right? Okay? And sometimes you didn't blow up the lab. Maybe that was just me. But this test is simple. This test is simple. Go and look, and you'll find the baby in a manger. It was a test that anybody could do, even shepherds. 
It didn't require special equipment. Why? Because the message of salvation is available to everybody. But it's not just one angel that shows up. After the one angel shows up, all of the angels show up. Well, maybe not all, but a huge heavenly host. We hear that suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts. God says, I'm all in with the shepherds. God's marketing. His marketing reveals his target audience because he puts all of his marbles in one bag. He sends the angels to the shepherds and puts them all there. It's not that one angel goes to the shepherds, another angel goes to Herod, another angel goes to the priests, and we do this big mass market, you know, hit everybody. No. God puts everything on the shepherds. Why? Because his target audience is not the nobility. His target audience is not the priests. His target audience is the lowest in society because God wants his offer of salvation to be available to all. Actually, it's, it's kind of ironic that he chooses the shepherds because the shepherds are the lowest in society. God has already sent his son, the hick from the sticks of Nazareth. He's making a point that this offer of salvation is available to all. And then in 15 through 20, I want to read this part of the passage to you. It says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's go to Bethlehem. Why? Because the offer of salvation demands a response. It's not enough to just hear the offer. It demands our response. The shepherd's actions demonstrate their acceptance of this new reality. Notice what the angels do not say in verse 14. They proclaim glory to God. They proclaim peace on earth. They do not say, now go to Bethlehem. I find that really interesting. The angels don't tell the shepherds to go to Bethlehem. The shepherds respond themselves and go to Bethlehem. The shepherds take their own initiative. The shepherds, on hearing this offer of salvation, take the initiative and respond. Something that strikes me about the Christmas story is the human element of it. God sent his son as a man to save mankind. The angels come and proclaim, but they don't tell the men what to do. They have to take their own initiative. Sin is a human problem. We all are sinners, guilty before God. God provides a solution to a human problem. And in so doing, he tells us, take the offer of salvation. Take the initiative and come to me for salvation. The shepherds do more, though, than just go to Bethlehem. The shepherds proclaim what they found. In verse 17, the shepherds, after seeing the Savior, after seeing the baby in a manger after testing the angel's words by going and checking, the shepherds spread the word concerning 
all that had been told them about this child. They go out and they proclaim. The shepherd's proclamation demonstrates their acceptance of the value of Jesus. They go and they proclaim. The people respond. In verses 18 and 19, what we see is that the people respond to the shepherd's proclamation. And this is significant because shepherds were the lowest in society. I've hammered that in. They were so low in society that if you were in a courtroom and you had witnesses before you, you could not accept the testimony of a shepherd in court because they were too low in society. They couldn't be trusted. Their testimony meant nothing in a courtroom because they were at the bottom of society. But look in verses 18 and 19 at what the shepherd said to them. The implication there is they believe the shepherds. Now, if somebody that you don't trust tells you something, most of the voice and their eyes respond appropriately, you might actually believe them, right? Even people that are untrustworthy, if they tell you something in the right way, you can see the genuineness in their eyes, you might believe them. I think that's what happens here. What the shepherds had witnessed changed them. They were changed men because of Jesus. And the people demonstrate the genuineness of their response. Ultimately, the shepherds leave in verse 20. The shepherds returned, and what do they do? Glorify God. So this gives me an action step. God may be calling you to salvation. You may have never accepted that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you've never accepted that, respond to the offer of salvation by accepting it. Maybe you have already, though, accepted God's offer of salvation. In that case, I challenge you to respond to the offer of salvation by proclaiming it. Maybe you are proclaiming that message of salvation. If you are proclaiming it, then my third step is to respond to the offer of salvation by glorifying God. Let's give God the glory. Just as the shepherds accepted, they went to the manger. Just as they proclaimed and told others, and just as they glorified God, let's respond to God's offer of salvation. It might not be convenient today. You've got lots to do today. But the offer of salvation demands our response. So let's do it. Let's go forward accepting, proclaiming, and glorifying. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross, to be born as a baby. I pray that we would respond to your offer of salvation. Father, I pray that you would give us the guts to step out, even though today may not be convenient, even though next week may not be convenient. Help us to respond to your offer of salvation. 
Father, we give you the glory. You sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Let us proclaim that. Let us accept that. In Jesus' name, amen.